Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Rendezvous and my author, Pete Liebenbuch, Liebengood, uh, sorry, go already messed up. Liebengood, um, and Pete Liebengood <laughs> joins me from San Francisco, California, in the United States. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Yeah, quite, uh, quite all right. Thank you for uh, taking time to visit me. I know you had a busy morning. You were at McDonald's doing whatever McDonald's does, uh, and uh, you uh, have have entered the, uh, the 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 marketplace as an author. You have a background in media. Share with my audience a little of your background and how it relates to your story. Ooh, well, well, it does actually uh, relate quite well. I spent uh, almost a quarter of a century in the TV news business. And as a sportscaster primarily, but as a show producer as well, and a, and a news reporter in a brief period of time. But uh, the book is about uh, TV news today, local TV news. And uh, the setting is in uh, Sacramento, California, where I happened to have worked at one time at KCRA TV, one of the great TV stations in America as far as news is concerned. And um, it's about about news, and it's also about the greed that news and the news competition produces. This is a, a story that is fictional, of course, but I would think that with your background and all of the insider stuff that you have access to or had access to, some of those may have spilled over into the storyline. Is that a possibility? You have 309 pages of material. <laughs> well, well, more spilled into some of the characters, okay? <clears throat> I met a lot of... Um, idiosyncratic people uh, doing uh, television news over the years. See, I was there at the, really at the start of uh, um, when TV news grew, grew on the local level from 15-minute newscasts to news at 6, 11, at 12 o'clock at, uh, at noon. Right. Uh, that was really, really the birth of, of TV news. So I saw it firsthand, and it hasn't changed a whole lot now. Now it's more of a factory than it was a craft uh, in the early 70s. Uh, because there's so many requirements for so many shows to to divide a particular story up into five different stories instead of one. I'd say most of it is drawn, it's not modeled after one character, but it, there's a lot of other characters that I've come across that are in some of the characters that are in the book, for sure. And, yes. and, and I try to make it uh, as, as entertaining as possible. This book is a, it's a mystery thriller, but it's also, I call it mystery thriller light because there's a dash of humor in there, too, as well. Fantastic. Now, did I pronounce the title of your book correctly, because you have spelled it R-E-N-D-E-Z-V-U? Uh, yeah. Uh, is, is, it, is it a correct pronunciation? It is. I thought I was being clever. <laughs> yeah, well, it's clever. <laughs> it's a take, it's take off on the word, but the, the principal, the protagonist in the, in the story is a news reporter named Kimberly Vu. Hmm. She's a Vietnamese ah. American. And uh, thus the play on words, um, but she's she's the she's the main character, and we follow her all the way through the book, and it's her really her story. That's a fantastic that's a fantastic play on words. You have uh, <laughs> uh, is this your first novel of this type? No, no, I have. This is actually my fourth. Um, I have um, uh, started about two. Th- I started on a lark actually. I uh, was my. I'm going to give myself away here in terms of age, but my 50th high school reunion a couple of years back, uh, I somebody had, at my 40th year reunion, somebody said, "Why don't you write a book about us?" I, I was thinking about writing a book. I was telling them, and I said, "Well, you know what? I think I'll do that." And I did that as a as a really a gift. I didn't even tend to market the book or anything like that. I, I published it online, and um, you know, got about a hundred copies and took it to my reunion and gave it away. Mm-hmm. It was about it was about my high school class, the the year of my class. None of the characters again were real characters, um, but that that's what started it. And I got a, a really good review from um, I think it was uh, Clarion Clarion reviews. Uh, I got a four out of five star review on the book, and I went, wow. "Wait a minute, maybe maybe I can do this." And uh, it's that's something to do in retirement. And so here I am now. I'm just I'm like two. Two hours away from finishing a fifth book. That's incredible. How long did it take you to complete Rendezvous? It's about a six-month writing process. Um, all of them have been about the same. 
um, but you put factor in the editing process and it's probably eight months, uh, something like that, eight to nine months. That's amazing. You, so, your, your writing process, I have talked to a number of authors, about 1,500 or 1,600 interviews. The, uh, the way they assemble the storyline and all of that is always different with each author. Do you sit down with an outline, or is it inspirational? You just sit down, and the story flows through your, 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 your mind and your heart, and the emotions, all of that just flow onto the page. I'm a, I'm a bad boy, I guess, if you follow the Jim Patterson uh, uh, code. I, I took an online class of his uh, just recently, actually, and he is an absolute stickler for uh, outlines. He does. Hmm. He'll spend two months on an outline. I'll spend two minutes. Wow. Um, I, I think I think it's from I, I think it comes from my background again in, in TV news, in the sense that um, when you're doing a preparing a story for a, a, a newscast. Uh, and you're up against the clock. You don't have time to sit down and uh, and do an outline. You have to you have to outline in your head. And I think that was kind of my training. And that's where I know beginning and end, but everything else in between just comes when I sit down. So that's a great gift. Your imagination was that something that was there early on before you got into news? Yeah, I think so. I was I was regarded as a fairly creative uh, news reporter or, or sports sports reporter. I did a lot of, uh, I would guess you call it off the wall stuff, in addition to straight reporting. Just saying, uh, does that mean you have written for magazines like Mad Magazine or some of those others unique oh, uh, publications? <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm, I haven't gone that far. I haven't gone that far. That way. Or Saturday Night Live, none of those. You, no. No, nothing like that. And I guess I will not ask, would you like to? I mean, that doesn't enter into the equation. Uh, your other novels that you have written, do they follow the same sort of format, not as far as uh, not character development, but as far as uh, style and, and area of interest? Yeah, absolutely. Not necessarily area of interest. One book was uh, Accidental Drowning was about a, a, a guy that uh, captured a murder accidentally by flying. His, he was flying his drone and saw somebody tied up, gagged, and thrown into a pool and didn't come out. And the other one was called Honeyball, which is a takeoff on the name of Moneyball, but it's about a woman, a young woman in her 40s who inherits a minor league baseball team and hires all women to run the operation hmm. and runs into all kinds of runs into all kinds of old school baseball um resistance. Um but uh, I forget what my point was going to be, but um those are but but well, I know what I was going to say. It's my style, I try, try to emulate and I'm not I'm I'm proud of it, I guess. Uh, Carl Hyacin is a is a is my model for uh, my style of writing. He has a lot of quirky characters. Um, he he's a very successful novelist. He's a um, terrific sense of humor. Uh, even though there are mysteries involved in his 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 books, um, it's just his style. I mean, I'm, I'm a poor imitation of Carl Hyacin. And if he probably ever hears hears me say that, why he'll probably choke on his coffee. But he is kind of my model, um, and in the and I think in the quirkiness of the characters, I, I try to make my characters as, as easily identifiable as possible. Manage to carry that through all all my novels. And I'm understanding you love entertaining too, so it's more than just the hard facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, my whole idea is to is to, well, first of all, move the story along at a really quick pace. I do that when my chapters are never more than about four or five pages. And move the, the, the story, move the plot, move, 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 move. That's what I learned in TV news, too. Again, it goes back to my roots. You have maybe two minutes to tell a story, and you, that story has, has got to move from narration to, to interview sound bites to if you're doing a stand-up on camera. It has to move. That was really how I was disciplined, and that's how I kind of disciplined my own writing. Describe for my, my listeners the basic overview of your plot. You have introduced your character, Miss Vu, to the, to the audience. Oh. How does yeah. that come together? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. <laughs> she, she trades sex for um, a information from the uh, chief of police of the town of Sacramento, on breaking news stories. In other words, she gets the jump on everybody else uh, in terms of uh, uh, going live with a story mm -hmm. in exchange for a relationship. And, that's, and that leads to all kinds of problems. And that's what you mean by jump on the story? 
<laughs> how does how does the chief of police of Sacramento feel about your writing? I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't heard from the chief yet. So I, <laughs> or any of his I, officers. I don't know, but I, I have a lot of friends who are scared of me because I have a lot of friends in. Uh, I, I live in in the San Francisco area in, in a suburb of Redwood City, and uh, and two of my best friends are the district attorney and the uh, and, and the county sheriff, and uh, they always worry that I'm going to. I'm going to be modeling them in one of my pieces of fiction, but so that uh, that <laughs> not so far that yet. Probably uh, opens the door for some scintillating conversation when you get together. They don't talk. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say, hey. Just remember, I could be using this. Yeah, great. That's great. Well, nothing like good uh, sources for for material. You mentioned that you did receive a uh, uh, receive recognition from uh, one of the, uh, I guess, award services, not award services, but one of the recognition services about your writing style. On the individual side, have you heard from people who are complete strangers who don't know you, who have read your book, and say, hey, this is pretty good? Yeah, you know, that, uh, that's kind of the big, biggest been the biggest reward for me. Is when somebody comes up. I, I don't know. I always, I used to get that too. When people would would say they come up to you when you you know your face is on television every day, and they'd say, "Hey, I really like your work." That's 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 worth the price of admission to anything, you know. Yes. And and when somebody says, "I really I really liked your book," I, you know, I couldn't put it down, uh, or I read it on the way to New York. <laughs> it was <laughs> it wasn't that simple to read, but anyway, yeah. No, that's 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 the reward that I get from this. You know, it's like I said, I'm, I'm retired now. And, uh, this is uh, other than playing bad golf. This is what I do. Well, it's fantastic. Describe for me your, your primary reader. Who's the ideal person that is going to enjoy this? Is this a guy novel or is this going to be one that'll reach everybody? I, I think it's probably more female. Um, I was looking at some research that, uh, uh, I'd done through Google some advertising and where they um, they break it out uh, demographically and women 35 to 45, 50 would seem to be the leading uh, component. Um, all of my, I see, I, well, the last three books, the last three books, the woman has been the main character. Hmm. So it, that's why I think the appeal would be more toward, uh, more toward women. Well, that in itself is an interesting approach or or sideline that you have I don't know how, the ability I, to to I don't convey know, that. Yeah. I don't know how I came. I don't know how I <laughs> came in that direction because I had to ask somebody uh, along the way, an editor. I said, "Am I portraying women right here?" Because uh, I, I, I I've never done that before, and uh, I I got a, a green flag, so I just continued. Well, that's that's fabulous news. That. Fabulous news, and and certainly a commendation to you as a writer to be able to uh, channel, if I may use that word, the uh, the feelings, emotes, emotions of a female. You, uh, with all of your novel writing and so on, which of the books do you think will adapt best to movies or uh, television? Do you think the Rendezvous will also be a contender? Uh, probably not as much because probably it's a little bit more toward TV type. Uh, shows, but uh, accidental droning has already had some interest. I have a there's a gentleman in Hollywood, very well respected, who has taken. We have kind of come to terms on uh, an agreement for him to uh, market accidental droning uh, to see if uh, he can get any interest from uh, motion picture companies. And I think Honeyball is also. I think that's a um, a movie in itself. Um, I don't like I said Rendezvous. Not probably as much because it might be a little too stereotyped. But uh, those first two, I think, are definitely um, motion picture related, specifically accidental droning with the tremendous interest now in drones and uh, people buying them right and left. And and some of the, you know, privacy issues, it's the most raucous of the the books. Uh, And it's it's a little bit of a stab at the political structure. Uh, It's a campaign that the woman is involved in. It's also one of the characters, one of the antagonists. But... um, uh, I'm kind of like holding my breath on Hollywood. Well, it, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, congratulations on the completion of this in your uh, career as a writer. This one titled Rendezvous, V-U. And uh, my guest author joining me from near San Francisco, California in the United States is Pete Liebengood. And that is spelled L-I-E-B-E-N-G-O-O-D. Pete, where do we get copies of your books? 
Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, or exlibris.com, which is the the uh, publisher, and um, hopefully at a bookstore near you soon. Uh, we're working on that, but Amazon is your primary. Uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble are your primary uh, outlets. Fabulous. And do you also have a website? Yes, I do. Uh, you can check out all of the books and some of the, the movie trailers and uh, also some of the reviews on uh, PeteLiebenGood.com. And again, the spelling for Liebengood. L-I-E-B-E-N-G-O-O-D. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today, today Pete. Uh, pleasure visiting with you, and best of luck in the future. Hope to hear from you again. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Marker. The book is titled Crossing the Red. And joining me from currently in Montana and a gentleman who lives apparently all over the country, I don't know, in the United States of America, Arch Gibson. <laughs> Welcome, sir, to the program. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, Jay. And uh, to set the record uh, straight to begin, I, I am currently a resident of Montana. We just moved here. We had been in Anthem, Arizona. We spent the last year traveling around the country when I became semi-retired hmm. and just visiting friends and uh, and family that we hadn't seen in years and years or not nearly enough of. So it sounds like in a Montana and enjoying it. Sounds like a wonderful place to uh, to visit friends or have friends. You uh, your background is in media. Share with my listeners a little bit about your personal background and how it uh, how it led up to the writing of Crossing the Red. Sure, uh, rather lengthy background beginning uh, in the newspaper business when I was a child. My father was a newspaper man, so I sort of grew up on his knee going to the newsroom uh, with him on weekends, which news people uh, understand is part of the job. So I grew up in that, and uh, early on I decided I wanted to be a writer and a news guy. So uh, when I got to college, uh, I sort of focused on that, minored in journalism and majored in, in uh, everything that's going on in the world today. And this is had a, a lot of background. Is yes. it, this, is, this is a fictional work, correct? Crossing the Red is very much fiction, yeah, but just, it's based on some of my experiences and people that I've met okay. uh, and, and things that I've witnessed in the past. Uh, so I would, I would, and I, I guess I shouldn't say what I'm going to say, and I, maybe I'll say it anyway. Uh, much of the news today is fiction anyway, uh, at least some of it. Uh, you <laughs> you have written this, no, over 300 pages in this novel. This uh, Was this something that you had a passion for, the, the fictionalized, fictionalization of, uh, of events? Has that been something that you have uh, uh, pursued in addition to your, your real career? Oh, very much so. I grew up an avid reader of fiction and uh, biography and, and history, so it was quite natural that I would become interested in, in writing what I was reading as a younger person. And I started uh, 
fairly early on as a teenager trying to write, uh, I say trying, uh, writing is, is just a, a simple process of revision and more revision. But yeah, I started young and I started with short stories and in, in, uh, little papers. Uh, I enjoyed it uh, to the extent that uh, I started studying words, keeping my uh, little list of words that I wanted to learn uh, or I wanted to learn to use uh, when I was in uh, in the later uh, years of high school and then certainly in college. Became involved with uh, student newspapers and did uh, fiction writing on my own. Never published anything, but I wrote the hell out of it. Well, you uh, you are, are describing someone that has a passion for learning, and the title of your book, Crossing the Red, I, I want to learn what that title means in the uh, sharing of the story. Sure. it's uh, it, it really sums up what the story is about, and that is uh, to go back in history in the days that the Comanches were first confined to the Fort Sill Reservation north of the Red River. Uh, they periodically became uh, restless or needed to go back uh, into North Texas to the Texas Panhandle, the Llano Estacado, and uh, perform what they did best, and that was steal horses, raid, and then return to uh, relative safety uh, back north of the Red River on the reservation. So that's the historical perspective on the title. The modern... Uh, adaptation of that that I've chosen is you're pushed up to a certain point in life. And in this case, our main characters are pushed up to the point that they have to push back and they're forced to. And so they cross that symbolic red river. They cross it also in the course of the story physically when they have to go into Texas to, uh, in pursuit of the terrorists that, uh, are creating all the problems for them. And this is current day content then, and not necessarily historical, but based on historical ideas. Well, absolutely. Terrorism and the preparation or anticipation of it's very much a part of the public uh, uh, mindset today. And so that's where this story occurs from beginning to end. And that's today. And what piqued your interest to investigate in your mind and in your creative thinking this story? I mean, was there a something, an event in history, perhaps, that, that sparked your, your attention, or what was it? Actually, it was a combination of things. I was in, inspired to study terrorism uh, when I was in college, even more so when I was uh, a newsman in, in the 1970s, uh, which was considered the golden age of terrorism. Right. Uh, in which there were literally thousands of terrorist events worldwide. Now, that piqued my interest. At the particular time I thought about writing a book, I was a, uh, a supervisor in information service, public affairs job at NASA Johnson Space Center, Houston, Texas. And I had to be talking to a, a security guard uh, in the coffee shop one day, and I asked him, well, how many, uh, how many of you are there? here on, on the JSC campus, he had to pause to think. And he said, well, there's just two of us right now. Wow. And that's a large campus. It's a significant piece of, of Americana. And certainly in 1970s, uh, the dawn of the shuttle era, uh, there was a lot going on. I thought that uh, they were a little undermanned. Uh, right. And looking around and studying the, uh, the Houston and, and Galveston Bay uh, petrochemical complex, uh, the same thing occurred to me. And so that's what got it, my mind rolling in, in the direction that, uh, that finally, uh, 37 years later, uh, produced this book. Phenomenal. A, a long time to get 3,000, I'm sorry, 300 pages completed and, and to your satisfaction, <laughs> right. but is this uh, an idea that uh, will create another follow-up novel to Crossing the Red? Actually, it, it already has. I've been working on the sequel to Crossing the Red for the past uh, five, six months. I had prepared a number of ideas, done a lot of research uh, for the sequel over the past several years, but actually getting to the right writing of it uh, 
the required uh, waiting until I got to the breadwinner end of, of my livelihood taken care of. <laughs> so, uh, yes, there's, there are actually six novels in this first of the Bear Kota series. So Bear And there might be Kota. more in there. Bear Kota is your primary character. That's correct. Bear Kota is a... Uh, is a veteran. I recently retired from the Army, Special Forces. Uh, he's also suffering, as many of them do today, from the war in, uh, in the Middle East, suffering from uh, PTSD. As everyone knows, uh, that's uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which is uh, it's a very serious problem, one that's only recently in the past decade or so been recognized as uh, something that's, that needs to be treated and taken care of and anticipated. Uh, it's a difficult, difficult illness to have, and it's, it's something that uh, will be featured in a number of my novels because the characters are veterans in a lot of my novels that uh, are. My presumption is that the follow-up novels are not going to take 37 years. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> and Actually... I was uh, I was delayed by a number of things. Number one was uh, making a living. Right. Uh, and number two, when I was uh, working on the book, uh, there were a number of, of events that occurred that uh, really stopped me in my tracks. And, mm. and the first one was the Challenger disaster in uh, the early '80s, uh, which. Uh, was startling because uh, several of the crew members uh, I had uh, met and uh, provided information to to send to their families about the space program. Mm. Our offices at NASA were right next uh, door to the uh, Astronaut Center, Building 1, and we were in Building 2. And uh, they would come over in, uh, during uh, lunch hours or free hours and uh, go through our stacks of uh, Pre-printed literature about the space program from Mercury forward, and uh, uh, photography, uh, color lithographs, and uh, they would select packets, and we would send them off or provide them to the astronaut office. Uh, so I had met some of those folks, like mm -hmm. Mizuka, and uh, he was one of the most humble, uh, great people that I've ever met. So it stopped me in my tracks, and I'm, I had to to replot, and I decided to take NASA out of my book as the primary target of the terrorist. Uh, I could not bear the thought of even fictionally um, destroying anyone in that program. Understandable. So I focused on the, the Houston you know, petrochemical complex, the, the huge complex of refineries uh, surrounding Galveston Bay. Yes, I've and, uh, I've seen there I've been there and in fact grew up in a small town that was a refinery area and I think is still on the list of uh, potential targets in in terrorism activity if it ever occurs and uh, I'm Canadian and right. as a Canadian uh, entity you have uh, described uh, your 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 novel is this a, a novel that will appeal to primarily guys is it an action novel is it a mystery what is the best way to describe it well, it boils down to uh, being an action-adventure novel, but it also integrates uh, some significant concerns to, uh, to our defense industry. And, and we've just been talking about it, the threat of terrorism in the Galveston Bay Area. Yes. Uh, this is, is a little unique in that uh, the method of delivering uh, the explosives is by small part, small boats. Uh, there's only 17 million small boats so categorized by the uh, U.S. Coast Guard in our waterways. And it, it so happens that uh, they're relatively unchecked except for safety and uh, those types of things. Uh, the Coast Guard simply cannot keep up with the number of, of small boats and check them out for potential problems or threats. This platform is chosen by the terrorists uh, because of that attack. It, it's easy to hide a, a, a few small boats among 17 million or several thousand, say, mm -hmm. that uh, are, are in the Galveston Bay area. 
And uh, it's also fairly simple to reinforce the holes so that they can handle the the weapons that they've chosen, which are uh, GPS-guided 120-millimeter mortars. Uh, That's the largest uh, mortar in in the U.S. inventory. And uh, it's also one that's in the Mexican inventory because the U.S. has provided And this is back on the fact book. The U.S. has provided these types of weapons to Hmm. Mexican uh, military in the past. Our terrorists uh, simply hijack the weapons and adapt them using U.S. technology and uh, several uh, people who decided to sell out and uh, to assist them in that uh, technical development. So where the Comanches enter in and the uh, terrorists have chosen uh, their backyard to secretly develop uh, an underground manufacturing facility for the GPS systems that uh, are then integrated to the basic mortar rounds. You have described some some technical issues in your book or or in your your novel, in your outline of uh, characters and character development. Of the action series or action scenes that you have uh, imagined, which of those was the most enjoyable to write? And do you think it will be something that stands out to the reader? I think the, actually the introduction was the most enjoyable to write because it, it required a uh, fictionalized synopsis of the technical aspects, the development of the weapon and its capabilities, the extremely uh, high level of accuracy in GPS uh, guided munitions, three meter or less accuracy. Uh, to use a military term, that as well as introducing the characters, uh, the introduction, and the design of the terrorists to eradicate the Kotas and Hunter O'Neill, who's a a young heiress of of a ranch that uh, the Kotas have worked on and leased uh, for years and years. So developing those was very enjoyable. It took uh, quite a bit of time, and some chapters were moved around in order to get that introduction in. Uh, Otherwise, it would have been uh, a little difficult to maintain uh, any uh, consistency of of action or understanding of action uh, throughout the rest of the the novel. The the fact is, uh, most of of the... People who've bought this book uh, include veterans and quite a few women. And we do have uh, some outstanding characters, uh, female characters that have been developed in in key. And one of them is Hunter O'Neill, who is a very uh, strong-minded kind of person, uh, young. She's very much attached to Bear Kota, the leading character, uh, they've had a, a split based on Kota's uh, suspicion that uh, she was carrying on with his cousin, Parker Kota, uh, which are untrue, but uh, his PTSD has caused him to uh, to separate from the family and to maintain that se- separation for a, a period of time that's uh, that's led to a, a lot of other divisions in the family. Do you hope that the story that you've created will also get us to thinking about homeland security and and other issues that are facing this country and other countries around the world? Well, very much so. Uh, that's always been a concern, at least since the 70s, uh, when it was obvious that, uh, that the United States suffered uh, probably more terrorist events uh, which were disguised in in a a rather low rank uh, in terms of the death toll, uh, but a lot more of them. There have been fewer in the the last decade or more since uh, 2011, but of course we're focused today on mass destruction, uh, weapons of mass destruction and and, uh, the, the ISIS threat. So, yeah, it it was uh, with these things in mind that uh, 
they didn't diminish. The terrorist uh, events did not diminish over the years, uh, and so that in itself kept me going. What I really had to change uh, because of the amount of time was the technology involved. When I began uh, the book, uh, it was going to be a... uh, a threat that was was launched uh, from small boats in the bay. But uh, launching a a weapon from a stable platform in a moving boat in Galveston Bay was problematical. Uh, Not very accurate Mm -hmm. if you're talking about trying to launch mortars. The advent of GPS uh, certainly cured that problem. Uh, I became very familiar with the uh, technical aspects of GPS and the so-called smart weapons when I was working in the defense industry. I had to to wait in, in a lot of cases uh, to discuss this very much in, in a public volume until the technology became a matter of public record. Uh, when that happened, then I felt much better about talking about it as a, a pivotal technology in uh, the, the weapons that were chosen and deployed by the terrorist group. Well, congratulations on completing this, the first in the series. The title, again, is Crossing the Red. It's a Bear Kota novel. And, uh, Arch, there are going to be, uh, hopefully, a lot of uh, listeners that will want to get a copy of this. How do they do so? Well, the, the uh, book is available multiple sources. Of course, it's available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and several other internet sources. It can be uh, ordered uh, from Ex Libris, uh, from their website. Uh, There are a number of uh, bookstores that uh, currently uh, stock the novel, and I'm hoping that a lot more do as well. Fantastic. Well, It's also available in in the electronic version for Kindle and so forth. Excellent. And listener, you can request it from your local bookseller. The title of the book, again, is Crossing the Red. And our author, Arch Gibson. A great visiting with you. I look forward to the follow-up stories in the series featuring your hero, Bear Kota, a page-turner, as they are sometimes referred to as. You've done a great job, Arch. Thank you for, for sharing your story and a little of your background. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jay. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on astronetradio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Death of the Sun, spelled S O N. And joining me from Oklahoma in the United States of America is author Doug Brooks. Welcome, Doug. How you doing? Good to be here. Good to talk with you. I, in just a brief conversation prior to uh, to our going into the recording mode, I understand this is your first novel. Share with my listeners a little about of your background. How did it uh, become possible for you to become an author? Is this something you've pursued all your life, or just a dream that you had? Well, it is something that I pursued. Uh, I have several uh, story ideals, and I wrote this book uh, wanting to write just a really good novel after being disappointed by several science fiction movies like Alien 3, mm-hmm. etc. Are, are you also a, a gamer by any chance? I mean, I'm, I'm noticing some of the elements of the game industry in your novel. Well, yes, I am. I have all three Xboxes, so that would definitely qualify me as a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> all three, and, and uh, you know, surround sound and uh, d- d- seats that shake in the uh, rumbling of the uh, subwoof uh, realm, all of that, I'm guessing, too. 
and of course the high definition TV. So, of yeah. course, there you are. The book or the book title, "The Death of a Son, of the Sun." Uh, share with my listeners a little of that storyline. Where did the idea come from, and how did you begin putting it together? Well, um, I was really wanting to come up with a really good story idea uh, in sci-fi, and it uh, I thought about it, and it came to me practically overnight, and it took me, once the whole story came to me, and it took me roughly about two weeks to write the entire story. That's incredible. Did did you sit down and just write from inspiration? Some authors do that. They just the ideas come to them and flows through their their uh, thought process, and they put it to paper. D- is that how you did it, or did you work with an outline? That's exactly what happened with this uh, book. Uh, it just all came to me, and uh, I just put it down on paper. I was like, "Man, people need to know this story," and so I just sat down and pounded it out and uh, got it done. <laughs> That's incredible. Now, you, you have managed to pen about 180 pages of, of storyline. The title, The Death of the Sun, how significant is that title to the story? It's very significant. Uh, I wanted to definitely name it that because there is no way that the reader uh, can tell what is going to happen in the end. Um, this book is just um, unpredictable, and that's exactly the type of story that I wanted to write. <laughs> well, that's what my wife says about me. Uh, when I go to the store, I'm unpredictable. No telling what I'll yeah. come back with. <laughs> now, the death of the sun. Is this set? How, how future tense is this? This science fiction novel. Uh, where does it? Where, where's the storyline begin? What era? Uh, it's present day, and it takes place in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where the Crichton Industries Tower is. And, of course, he's been traveling to other worlds uh, in secret for years, and uh, the government doesn't know about it. So they have no idea what takes place in that building. Uh, some of my readers might like that. Hmm. Ah, yes. And your main character, does he or she have a name? Yes, the main character is uh, Benjamin Crichton, who is the father, and the son is Derek Crichton. And Benjamin, for the first time, is enlisting his son to travel to other worlds with him in order to uh, negotiate for alien technology peacefully. Now, that's an interesting concept. I would have assumed this was way out in the future, but it's actually something that we can relate to because you have included in there VR technology and some other things that are contemporary. Yes, uh, it does take place now, and that may be something my readers find of interest. And actually, um, it is very possible, uh, if you read the book, uh, Benjamin Crichton, reverse-engineered information about a wormhole uh, when he used to work for NASA. What you have described is maybe an element of the story that might give a reader nightmares at night. Would that be correct? Oh, yes. There's definitely scary uh, concepts to the story. Uh, Since he enlisted his son uh, to go on a peaceful mission for uh, alien technology, he actually came across... Uh, species that they've never seen before that actually challenged him in many ways. Is that uh, through and, through VR technology, or is that something that's, uh, that is actually there in, in present tense in in your novel? Uh, it's it's there in present tense in my novel, and it's something unexpected that happened. And his father told him not to fight anybody else's war for him, and his promise was sorely tested. Doug, what's the response of those who have read your book? Yes, I have, I've had two reviews, and both were positive. The last one was the Pacific Book Review, and they really did me a good service. Um, they said that the book was like Ender's Game, mm-hmm. and they gave me four out of five stars, and my publisher said that it's unheard of for a first-time publisher to have four out of five stars. Well, that's an incredible the- accomplishment. On the first book. Wow, that is that is incredible. Now, in the story, is there an action scene that maybe could be picked up by a movie production company? I guess, as most authors, you, you would hope that maybe someone will discover you. Thank you. Yeah, there's many in the book that, uh, many exciting action sequences that could easily be made into an exciting movie that would attract a lot of people, young people and especially young adults. Uh, teens, and also the older generation as well. So the content of your book is actually, um, I'll say, PG. I mean, uh, anybody could read it and enjoy it. Uh, Yes, definitely. 
You have mentioned also in our pre-conversation that you are attempting or planning to write additional follow-ups. Are they going to be with the same characters or additional characters? Uh, they're going to be with the same characters and with additional characters, both. Your characters, uh, would you describe them as uh, heroes in this novel, or are they just interesting guys that you're following? No, they would definitely be heroes because they're actually uh, free and enslaved uh, race on the planet. You've mentioned that it, it's in the science fiction genre. Is there anybody else out there that has approached a subject similar to this that you know that you know of, or how would you describe your book that makes it stand out? Uh, I would describe it as unique. Um, I intentionally wanted to get away from other movies like Iron Man or uh, Contact or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The the book definitely have its, has its own unique elements uh, within it, and the most interesting. And one of the unique uh, features in the book is the enemy. Uh, He's very unique from any other enemy you've ever saw on film or in book. A little cliffhanger right there, just like you would do in a television series. There is, uh, you know, a great interest in science fiction with a lot of readers today, and, and of course with the gaming industry, that's a big, big thing. Did you have uh, anybody that influenced you in your writing style, or was it just your way of expressing what was going on creatively? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Cameron would be the one that really influenced me, the one who directed Aliens and Terminator 2. Yes, very very high-profile gentleman and uh, successful author. The uh, yes. process of writing this, you say it came about in a very short period of time. Was there any challenges that you had to overcome in order to get it published? Uh, not really. Um, I pretty much can't contacted the publisher. Uh, it's taken off ever since, and they're very, very excited about it. So, uh, so far, I've been very lucky, and I'm very appreciative of that. Fabulous. In introducing this book, again, it's a science fiction read, but is there another way that you would describe the contents of your story to uh, someone that doesn't know you? I would say uh, it showcases a lot of technology for traveling to other worlds. Uh, Definitely a big surprise with the enemy that they come across. And it is a trilogy, and there's a lot more to come and a lot more surprises. Did you create either intentionally or unintentionally uh, maybe an under underlying moral to the story? There is a moral to the story, except I can't tell you right now. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Either that's because you don't know or because it's immoral. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a big surprise in the third story, and uh, I just can't give anything away at this point. But, uh, you know, just uh, I would say... Uh, peacefulness with diplomacy as far as you can take it, at least, you know. Uh, There's a lot more stuff to come in the next two books, and uh, there's a lot of surprises, and I just can't give away any information from those two books right now. (laughs) Those sound sound mysterious. Uh, There are some technical aspects to your book, obviously, with uh, uh, the, the VR technology and so on. Did you need to do any research, or are you just that immersed into the technical side that it came easily? No, I actually did need to, need to do some research. A lot of some of it came naturally, but uh, some of it I wanted to verify and make it as close to the physical realm as possible. Uh, you know, I looked up some of the uh, wavelengths for laser colors, and if you look at in the book and it describes the frequency for the laser that is the actual color that you would see in real life. Phenomenal. You mentioned that this idea came to you in your sleep or overnight or somehow and you woke up the next morning and began writing. Do you journal? A lot of my authors will take notes or or make notes of ideas that come to them and use them later in uh, their production. Yes, I do journal. I use WordPad. Uh, I've worked on... uh, the beginnings of about 50 different stories. So a lot of ideas have come to me. Uh, this is the one that I've finished. <laughs> I hear you. There's a lot of, I've talked to some authors that took 40 or 50 years to complete their book and uh, are planning a sequel. And I'm wondering if they have another 40 or 50 years to complete sequel number two. So uh, you're, yeah. way, you're way ahead of the learning curve, obviously, from what you've described to me. Uh, you you enjoy the, the writing process, obviously, and uh, enjoy storytelling. 
Is there a long-term goal that you have? What, what, what would you, if you could describe your life in another 10 or 15 years as an author, what would you say? Well, one of my goals is definitely to break into Hollywood. Um, this would make a phenomenal movie. It'd make a phenomenal trilogy. And uh, there's a lot of other story ideals that I have written or have in mind specifically for the, uh, the movie industry. And also the gaming industry, this would make a good game as well. Um, 15 years uh, down the road, I would like to see being a successful producer, you know, director, writer, uh, game maker, etc. Well, fantastic. Well, congratulations on completing this. Keep me in mind when you get to that 15-year success uh, ratio, I could probably do more than buy the book. So let me know. Uh, it would be great to visit with you again. This story is titled The Death of the Sun, and my author, Doug Brooks, has joined me from Oklahoma in the United States of America. Doug, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, they can get it on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or TheDeathOfTheSun.com. Super. That's your personal website, TheDeathOfTheSun.com? Yes, and I encourage any reader who reads the book to definitely go in there and give me positive, uh, honest feedback so that I can uh, discuss the book and they can also discuss it with other readers. I'm also looking for critique for the next book coming up that I'm working on now. So, you know, any good advice, uh, I'm definitely willing to listen. Uh, excellent. Well, as they say in the recording industry, any feedback will help. Uh, no, that's not exactly what they say. Uh, Doug, great, <laughs> great visiting with you. Again, the title, The Death of the Sun. Uh, Doug Brooks has been my guest. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Uh, thank you. My I'm glad to be here. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.